Well, the virus has now killed more than 100 people in China, and new cases have been confirmed around the world. So you don't want to frighten the American public. France and South Korea have also got evacuation plans. Which you need to prepare for and assume. Strongly warning Americans to avoid all non-essential travel to China. That this is going to be a real serious problem. France, Australia, Canada, the US, Singapore, Cambodia, Vietnam, the list goes on. Health officials are investigating more than 100 possible cases in the US. Germany, a man has uh, contracted the virus. The epidemic is a demon and we cannot let this demon hide. Japan, where a bus driver uh, contracted the virus. Coronavirus has killed more than 100 people there and infected more than 4,500. We have to prepare for the worst, always, because if you don't and the worst happens. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Live. And then, courtesy of the Chinese Communist Party, struck. The president quickly took action and shut down travel from China. Joe Biden and his Democrat allies called my father a racist and a xenophobe for doing it. They put political correctness ahead of the safety and security of the American people. Joe Biden and the socialist left would be a disaster for our economy. But President Trump is leading a new era of opportunity. Before communist China gave us the coronavirus, we were breaking economic records left and right. The pandemic has set us back, but not for long. President Trump brought our economy back before, and he will bring it back again. He supported the worst trade deals in the history of the planet. He voted for the NAFTA nightmare. Down the tubes went our auto industry. He pushed for TPP. Goodbye, manufacturing jobs. Beijing Biden is so weak on China that the intelligence community recently assessed that the Chinese Communist Party favors Biden. They know he'll weaken us both economically and on a world stage. Live from the nation's capital, finally got my hit my mark here, 25 August, year of our Lord 2020, you're in the war room, war room pandemic. Stephen K. Banner, Raheem Kassam, Jack Maxey, Vishborough, and the team, episode 351, over 13 million downloads, also live on the John Fredericks Radio Network, the booming uh, network, radio network of the Deplorables on America's Voice.News, the streaming service now, Dish Channel 219 of the Trump Revolution, Newsmax TV, Chris Ruddy and the team over there now in 70 million homes, and of course, in Mandarin, later in the day on GTV and G News, and all every other distribution platform. A possible Pluto TV, Facebook everywhere. We got Facebook pages going everywhere, uh, so you can see this. Where I guess we're ubiquitous, right? All not too, the place. not too Can't bad. Ha- not too bad having a uh, like a rash. Uh, <laughs> the uh, okay, so we played the open. Is, we play, yeah. they played, they played, the, played the cold open to show that, and I think you got to give a hat tip to to Ronna McDaniel, the RNC, and to the campaign yesterday. You know, political leads with you got the two voices for the fight for the soul. It's not a fight for the soul. There's a coming together. A coming together for victory. You've got the more establishment Republicans. You've got Don Jr. and obviously the Matt Gates, the fire breathers, the populist nationalists. But if you pay attention, if you look for the signal, not the noise, what, what unites both of them? The Chinese Communist Party and the understanding of what they've done to our country, calling it the CCP virus, the, the virus uh, that came from the Chinese Communist Party. And today we're going to have Dr. Yan with Jack Maxey uh, later in the hour. Bill McGinley, former um, Secretary of the Cabinet in the Trump administration, is going to be here to talk about uniting uh, to uh, the two sides. We've got tons of clips, tons of analysis. 
uh, a lot to do in the pandemic. There's breaking news of vaccines in China. There's breaking news of of plasma here, and now the FDA is being jumped on. So, um, and and we want to go back to Joe Biden's uh, pandemic plan, but a lot going on. But we got to start with the the convention last night. Uh, and guys, I want you to jump in here. Other clips we've got to play. Uh, a historic night tonight, I might say. Mike Pompeo. The first time a Secretary of State in modern history, he's doing it in a personal capacity. He is in Jerusalem, so that'll be quite symbolic. Mike Pompeo is going to be up tonight, plus uh, Miriam Mendoza from the Angel Moms. You're going to have, and you got a bunch of, you got some establishment figures. Uh, night two is going to be fantastic. We'll get to that later in the show, but I want to put it out here first of the general assessment. I asked John Fredericks later in uh, earlier in the morning what were his thoughts. I know John on the John Fredericks Radio Network has the I think the best field of deplorables. He said they thought it was a 9 out of 10. Uh, and what I liked about it most was the uh, how dynamic it was. It seemed like it was more dynamic and had more of a Hollywood kind of flair to it than the Democrats who are supposed to be the party of Hollywood. Raheem, Jack, Vish, thoughts, observations, context. The production value was definitely higher than the Democratic uh, convention, which uh, to me, Steve, actually I found shocking too. I guess uh, Vish is... Uh, comment the other day that Harvey's in jail may have something to do with it. But the one thing that I found very troubling is how we keep describing them as socialists and that socialism is the danger. I think that's too soft, Steve. I don't see uh, Norwegian and Swedish and let's Danish play, let's socialists play. We got Tim Scott. We got, right Tim, we got Tim Scott. Let's go to Tim Scott. I thought it's Tim, Tim Scott. Tim Scott and Nikki Haley, I think, perform their roles perfectly, which is more establishment figures, more traditional conservatives, and to show people that, hey, this, this party, and particularly the Trump uh, movement and back this party, is accommodating and, and diverse, and, uh, and, and not just diverse ethnicity and everything like that. I think more importantly, diverse for, for ideas. Do we have Tim Scott? Let's play Tim Scott on the Cultural Revolution. Let's roll it. Our side is working on policy. While Joe Biden's radical Democrats are trying to permanently transform what it means to be an American, make no mistake, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris want a cultural revolution, a fundamentally different America. If we let them, they will turn our country into a socialist utopia. And history has taught us that path only leads to pain and misery especially for hardworking people hoping to rise. Cultural revolution. I mean, they're listening, right? That, that, that was, a, that was a, a fantastic, I think, fantastic I, hit right there. I think if you, if, if you want to talk about the Obama restoration project here and trying to tie Joe Biden with that, what did we hear? What, were, what was part of the first uh, speech that President-elect Obama gave in 2008? What was the pivotal moment in that? The fundamental transformation of America was the the key line in that and if you're going to harken back to the obama restoration plan this must also be understood by everybody who's voting that this is a cultural revolution that they look to invigorate and bring back to the forefront well i want to just comment on the um on the convention in general i mean jack noted the the production value 
differential. But the the, the point here Did was Did you think there was a production value differential? It was a massive differential, but the point is the bar wasn't very high. I mean, no kidding. The Democrats filmed their a lot of their stuff on their own phones. There's there's sort of B-roll and, and behind the scenes showing them doing it on their own devices. I'm not sure whether that was an intentional move uh, by the Democratic Party to try and look more in touch with the every person who's struggling to call into their offices using Zoom nowadays. Anyway, whatever happened, it failed, and the Republican Party actually looked like they put on a show. I mean, I thought I was, I felt like I was watching a show last night. I felt gripped. I didn't want to walk away from the television, even to make a cup of tea or whatever. I just, I wanted to be there and see who the next one was, and the next one was, and the timing was right, and the pacing was right. It was like the Republican Party had professional Hollywood producers teaching them how to do this. Um, and the content was absolutely pitch perfect. I mean, there were one or two tweaks that I would have made, but the, but the actual flow and the rhythm of it was perfect. You had one person talking about uh, an issue that, and, it, and it, it just naturally molded into the next one. It wasn't this kind of piecemeal, jumping around kind of thing um, that the Democrats had. And so the social media reaction, the reaction amongst our audience, the reaction amongst many of my friends was we really didn't know the RNC could do something like that, had it in them, and they deserve full marks for putting I think there's a, a combo of the RNC and the campaign. I think it's hap tip to both. I think Ronald McDaniel and... Uh, and Jason Miller, Bill, stepping over the campaign, the production people, it uh, it had a gloss to it. It had a tempo to it. I think also, you know, this decision, and they decided not to have people. They walk into that cavernous hall, and you know, it it, it I thought because it gave the camera a chance to pull back, it looked because in the Democratic thing, it looked like the camera was right up on top of them. They're in a small room. Yeah. Every just every production decision, I think, was fantastic, and it did. It had a flow to it. It had a tempo to it. Um, and it, was, it wasn't you, overproduced. Not, but it was not overproduced. But it was produced enough. Right. Right. That's what I thought. And look, this is very difficult. You've never had. You know, obviously, some of the speakers were projecting more in more of a convention type manner. Others were talking more intimately to the uh, to the uh, to the camera. They took some risks that I thought were. I look the risk to put the uh, the the gentleman from Cuba uh, about Castro in the primetime hour on network is a is a thought through decision. That clearly, you're trying to get a, a message across to, about Venezuela and Cuba and, and what we're looking at, and it, and, it, and I think he hit it out of the park. Um, Nikki, I I think the one of the messages I took in Washington last night is what unites these various factions. I thought for Nikki Haley and Don Jr., the one point of context that got it right there is obviously America first, national security policy. The CCP sent the virus here. That took the strivers' economy. As Kimberly Guilfoyle called it, you know Steve Steve Cortez's great phrase, "chop block the strivers' economy," uh, and uh, but and, and it showed uh, unity. Remember, you have to win in a coalition. I think it was and it's just opening night, but I think it, it it contextualized. What I was most impressed with is the energy. It didn't come out as low energy, right? Which I thought the Democrats came as low energy, dour. Uh, etc. A couple of tells on that. Number one, and here's the biggest tell for the audience. By the way, we want to hear everything you have to say on hashtag War Room Pandemic. We also want to go to the live stream. We want your feedback. We want your observations. We want, we're going to get some of them here. Questions you have, we'll get it all in here. The, the two biggest tells, I thought, were the mainstream media's maniacal, maniacal focus on fact-checking, right? That's a tell. When they got to sit there and get the snarky kind of, I mean, when, when has that ever happened in an American political convention ever? Where they got to sit there like a school marm, you know, with the, with the, with the ruler going to hit you on the knuckles on anything you said. This intense fact-checking, I thought was, uh, and the fact that 
they didn't juxtapose any of the Kenosha footage. We're going to have some footage from Kenosha later in the day that's just, uh, it's just absolutely, later in the show, that's absolutely horrific. In fact, maybe if AVN's got that, doing some of the talk before other clips, you can see what happened in Kenosha. Am I correct? It was MSNBC, I think, the earliest that came in at 1145 with any of the reports from Kenosha. And that was not when Kenosha was first starting. Kenosha was actually started earlier, so right. they, they, they delayed it. But I think the fact-checking, and we ought to get to that. Let's go through it, but I want to get to how they actually jumped in on Don Jr., I think, about the fact-check. Raheem. Yeah, just to that point, what did we talk about last week? The Democrats didn't try and put anything in terms of the logos, the logic, yes. um, the, the, the points, the no policy detail. in the thing. And so you couldn't even fact-check them if you would have wanted to. Oh, there was nothing amazing. to fact-check in the Democrat convention. Wow, it was the, so light. The it rationale behind fact-checking the Republican Party last night was because there were facts being mentioned. They had all three parts of this. They had the pathos. You heard it in the uh, voices of the Cubans uh, uh, you know, who had fled and the Venezuelans who had fled. You had the logos. You had policy. And you had ethos. You had what, what's at the heart of all of this and why the, the distinction between good and evil. No, and not only right. that, and not only that, I think they're maniacal. Like it wasn't just that it was, they were fact checking; it was what they were maniacally fact checking. They were going after Trump's promises and the and the promises that he had kept or claimed to keep. So we know that the Dem the Democrats and the machine is very worried about this point getting across. That here is Donald Trump, a politician who made. Not a politician, but in his capacity as a politician, made promises and kept them. And that's what led to their nitpicking of those promises yeah. live while they're being while that's the, being conveyed. So the two things is and that's the old whiteboard in our war room in the in the West Wing, right? The old whiteboard is what what he said, what he promised and what he's did. He's a man of action. Remember, now comes the hour of action, I think was right out of the inaugural address. Um, he, here's the other thing I found interesting. We only got a minute to go. We got, uh, we've got Bill McGinley next. Um, here's what I found interesting also. On the pandemic, he went right after it. Hey, mm -hmm. my handling of the pandemic is fine. Boom. What do you Tell me what you got. Boom, boom, boom. And got into some specifics about the pandemic. Had the first-line workers there. Mm -hmm. The Democrats last week, I think, as I'd said on Maria Bartiromo to kick it off, go to what their policies are because then you're going to see the difference. They kept it at a level of essentially orange man bad. Right. All week. Yep. And the best thing they had on the pandemic and ladies and gentlemen, and particularly the Bernie Democrats and other people that listen to this, the news producers listen to this. And the, their big solution for the thing was Joe Biden's March 25th plan for the and as Jack Max is going to tell you about what we know scientifically. Remember, we're evidence based. We're science based. We're database you see that? Okay, look, we're going to go to a break. We've got Bill McGinley next. A lot to go through. Tons of clips. I just sir. I want to say one thing yeah. about last night. Is I thought Kimberly Guilfoyle could have been a bit louder. I couldn't hear her speech. I thought Kimberly <laughs> did. It's, 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 it, it, that's why it was so juxtaposed so well. She came in <laughs> breathing energy. fire in the energy. And I got to tell you, the, the, that, that speech was a hammer speech. Okay, short commercial break. It's key. Hashtag war and pandemic. Go to, go to our, our Twitter feed. Also go to, well, we'll talk about it in a second when we get back from commercial break. War Room Pandemic with Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon, and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Okay, we've got some. Well, we have to win. Our country is counting on it. This is the biggest. This is it. Our country can go in a horrible, horrible direction. 
or in an even greater direction. And before the plague came in from China, that's where we were going. We were going in a direction like we had never seen. The most successful economy in the history of our country, the best unemployment numbers in history for African-American, Asian-American, Hispanic-American, women, college students, bad students, good students, everybody. It hurt my soul to hear the terrible names that people called Donald. The worst one is racist. I take it as a personal insult that people would think I've had a 37-year friendship with a racist. People who think that don't know what they're talking about. Growing up in the Deep South, I've seen racism up close. I know what it is, and it isn't Donald Trump. Okay, guys, we've got some breaking news here from The Hill. Apparently last night, the C-SPAN live stream on the first night of the Republican National Convention attracted nearly 440,000 views, making a substantial increase over the start of the Democratic National Convention, which drew only 76,000. Now, the Nielsen ratings for the night will not be out till later this well, afternoon. Hold on, but, but d- d- you're reading Hill Talk. That's six times. Give me, six a, times. Give me a head. If you're going to break 76, in. 76,000 versus step, If you're going to step on my cold open and then take my, take my mic away at the thing. Jack Maxey, steal your girlfriend, Jack. <laughs> it's, is that 6X? I just want to know. Six times the viewers on C-SPAN watch and, the G- and that's, RNC and, 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 and that's seen the, uh, the live feed all night and playing it again. Right. Raheem, how big is and, that? And this morning. Uh, well, it's actually uh, the Hill story, even though it just came out, uh, is still is already behind. It's now 450,000 views playing 76,000 views over uh, between the RNC and the DNC. And that is huge. However, I do believe there were a lot of people last night who were very upset with how the networks were covering the RNC. Fox News was breaking in all the time with commentary from Carl Rove, as if anybody wants it. MSNBC with his fact check. CNN would go out to Wolf Blitzer and Danabash. So a lot of people flicked over to where they could get uh, ceaseless commercial-free coverage, like C-SPAN. This, this whole counterproduction that was happening, basically, mm. is definite, was definitely Well, the, count, the, counter, the counterproduction was the fact check and everything like that of MSNBC and CNN. Fox did, I think even Gates, right? Some of the, mm-hmm. some of the best highlights of the night were, were missed by having... Uh, you know, missed, not that I Carl Rowe doesn't have uh, things of, of, of brilliance, but they're walking through something that particularly conservatives want to see. Let's get in. Yeah, go ahead. Just on this as well. Yeah. Watch. I want the audience to watch out very closely for this, though, because if that's true and people flicked off the networks and flicked over to C-SPAN or to a YouTube live stream, then when the network numbers come out, they may be lower and the media will attack the RNC for having a low view. This is what we call, uh, uh, Raheem's getting ahead of it, right? He's getting, he's getting, he's getting his blocking defense. Wow! I like that. Um, I actually think that the TV could be quite a big number. I think think it'll be big. I think it'll be a big number. I think it'll be a big number. Okay, Bill McGinley now, he was uh, uh, Secretary of the Cabinet in the uh, first couple of years of the Trump administration. Um, a, a senior partner over at Holtzman uh, has been on the impeachment, been been here about own the vote. But I want to tell you, you've been at a number of these conventions over the past decades, and I don't want to age you, uh, Brother McGinley. But give us your assessment of the purpose of a convention to unite. What what was your takeaway from last night? Look, content is king. I thought that day one programming uh, they knocked it out of the park. Uh, they told compelling stories about. Uh, a lot of the uh, accomplishments of the Trump administration that doesn't get any press, uh, everything from the uh, Right to Try Act um, to the School Safety Commission, 
to a number of the people who are yearning to be free that have come to the shores uh, of America and still have pride in this country. And I think that that was a stark contrast to what you saw last week, uh, where the Democrats painted a picture of America in decline. And I think the Republicans did a good job of, of bringing forward ordinary people in addition to some of the uh, all-stars of the Trump administration and his supporters uh, to show that America is still ascending um, and that our best days are yet to come. And I think that's going to resonate with a, a lot of people out there who may be undecided or people who may be on the fence about whether or not to vote for President Trump. So hats off to the campaign and to the RNC for putting together a terrific program. And more importantly, hats off to the people who were courageous enough to come up and speak to the American people about the important messages and the policies that have touched their life. Uh, one in particular that I would like to, to point out that was really a standout last night was Andrew Pollack, uh, a Parkland father who lost his daughter uh, Meadow during that tragic shooting. Um, what a courageous man. And for him to stand up and say, uh, look, this is an administration, this is a president who wanted to really get to the root of the problem of school safety uh, and some of the violence we're seeing in schools uh, and not typically do what, you know, past Democratic administrations have done, which is only focus on guns and try and take away guns right. I thought it was a very courageous stance. He did a heck of a job. I want you guys to jump in here as I ask Bill the question. Bill McGinley, uh, joining us, former uh, Secretary of the Cabinet. Um, you made a point that I don't think the Democrats, and maybe they did, I want to be fair. We got to granularity into substance through story of actual people and how it affects their lives, right? Whether it was school choice, whether it was a gun issue, school safety, uh, was it restorative rest, uh, judgment, uh, justice, the, the point? Restorative uh, justice. Restorative yes. just, justice. Uh, in, in, in about um, socialism, every, they told it through personal stories. What I loved, you didn't have policymakers and um, politicians coming out and, and putting that forward, right? They were more framing devices the granularity you told, told through people. I think the Democrats missed a big opportunity there in telling policy. So, Bill, what, what are your thoughts on that? And then I want to turn it over to the team. I thought it was an incredible uh, storytelling exercise using real people and how the uh, policies have had a material impact on their life. And then I thought Don Jr., uh, Ambassador Haley and Senator Scott came in at the end and tied it all together. Remember the context in which this uh, convention is happening. Parents across the country are trying to figure out whether their kids are going to go back to school uh, or do virtual learning. And schools across the country are holding conference calls and video calls with parents trying to explain why they're doing what they're doing. Um, so when you look at what was conveyed last night, um, it's everything that a parent thinks about uh, when they think about their children. Number one, they think about their health and safety. Uh, number two, they try to think about, is this a country where they're going to have an opportunity to exceed their expectations and do better than the current or past generations? I thought last night was the building block for laying um, that argument down in contrast to what the Democrats said. And I think it was an interesting way and a, and a really uh, good way for the campaign and the president to lay out uh, some of the compelling things that have not only happened in the past, but how we need to preserve and build upon the accomplishments of the Trump administration uh, by giving him a second term. Bill, this is Jack. One of the things that you said at the start that I really touched me was I think the whole thing was a positive message about how the future is going to be better. It was very Reagan-esque. And I was watching a lot of the comments last night. One of the things that kept coming up was 
people appreciating that they put God at the center of this whole program, that there is a spiritual power that is that has given us our rights in America and is the basis of our freedom. And I think that that really uh, meant something to a lot of the average people out there because the Democratic National Convention was completely devoid of any mention of a higher power. Bill, you know, Cardinal Dolan's opening prayer, he knocked it out of the park. Um, I thought that was a terrific prayer to give a foundation uh, for what ca what came next in the convention. Yeah, Bill, I just wanted to mention there as well. I mean, this really did feel like the Democrats were the tired incumbent party and the Republicans were in opposition and, and, and were all glossy. And it really reminded me of David Cameron in 2010. Now, that's not a compliment in the longer run, but the production value, the thought process of how you appeal to people, all of that felt well, much it's more. Well, it's restoration versus revolution. The right. Trump revolution, they think they laid out the basics of it last night on the first night, inclusive, and now you're going to get into more detail. Before you lose your bill... Uh, Mike Pompeo, just uh, real quickly, he's going to talk tonight in a personal capacity from uh, Jerusalem. It should be very powerful. They're obviously trying to run around with their hair on fire, the Democrats, with the, uh, with the, the Hatch Act. Is there anything there? Is Mike Pompeo, you don't think they'll try to pull him at the last second? You think this thing will go through? Because if he's on in a personal capacity, it'll be very powerful. Yeah, I, look, I think it's going to go forward. Um, uh, I think that the State Department lawyers, uh, you know, and other lawyers in the administration um, vetted this uh, appearance. Uh, it does break with tradition, but then we're in unprecedented times. Um, and so, you know, if, if this has been thoroughly vetted and the, the lawyers have signed off, I think uh, Secretary Pompeo should deliver his important message. Um, about the accomplishments of President Trump and his personal feelings about why he supports him and serves in his administration. We've got about a minute left. I'd like to know where we stand with own your vote. Are you are you in a better place today than you were a couple of weeks ago, or how? Just for our audience, because you you become a real favorite here in talking about how we got to make this the mail-in ballot uh, work. So where do we stand? Yeah, I think I think we've improved, but we're not where we need to be. Um, one of the messages that I thought was absent from last night that I hope they weave into the presentations this evening is the fact that we need to be telling our supporters to get out there and vote, that they need to own their vote, that they need to understand all of the uh, state election laws and the deadlines, they need to order their absentee ballots early, and they need to complete them properly, take the time to do it, make sure that it's got the proper postage, and send it in. If you have a non-mail way of submitting your ballot, uh, under state law, then make sure that you take advantage of that as well. This is a turnout election. This is going to be about who garners the most votes, as every election is, but in a pandemic and during civil unrest, get out the vote is the coin of the realm, uh, and this is what the campaign in the RNC needs to be focused on. So last night we had a lot of arguments about why to vote for the president, why to support Republicans. Now what we need to be doing is telling people how they can support them by getting their votes in early. Brilliant. Thank you. Bill McGinley, we'll get your uh, we'll get your social media up in the uh, in the next segment or in this segment. Bill McGinley over at Holtzman Vogel. Uh, own your vote. It's a turnout election. We're in return with Dr. Yan and Jack Maxey. War Room Pandemic with Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Hashtag War and Pandemic in the live stream. Also now, we need you to download the podcast. Go to Apple, Spotify, anywhere you want to go. 
Download us. Give a review. We're over 13 million, and I think we're the only place that's ubiquitous everywhere and also as a podcast, this has this kind of scale. And the reason is we're giving you tomorrow's news today. And it's free. And better than that, it's free. Um, and when I say tomorrow's news and the signal and the noise, think about yesterday starting in Charlotte with the president's address with Don Jr. and Nikki Haley, the, every aspect of the party, the Chinese Communist Party virus, President Trump, the Chinese, uh, the Chinese Communist Party plague that came over here and destroyed the Strivers economy that's now on a comeback. You've got uh, you've got Nikki Haley calling it you know a virus th- uh, thanks uh, d- by the uh, brought to us by the Chinese Communist Party and you got Don Jr. CCP virus you got every element of the of the Republican uh, of the Republican Party and you know particularly for the Bernie folks out there and the economic nationalists that listen to this show uh, you know where's the response all we got over the national pulse is Chris Coons's uh, chief of staff is now uh, going to be the, the head lobbyist for Alibaba. Right. Where where is the democratic response? You know, it just can't be orange man bad. You gotta get into some granularity here. Okay. Coming out and this huge controversy here because there's other things going on besides just the convention, and that is about the FDA and everything pushing forward as President Trump tries to drive this program. Trump last night, and I like this, they were aggressive about hey, our actions on the pandemic, right, are fine. What do you got? A March twenty fifth plan? Remember, Democrats, you're supposed to be the smart guys. It's called a learning curve, right? A learning curve. We know a lot more today, right? It close to September than we did back in March. So you can't go back and put out in, in your convention, you put forward your March 25th plan as the as Biden's plan, right? Which And it was kind of all happy talk. Oh, more testing, mask, all this other stuff, right? So uh, we know a lot more today. So where's the update? It just can't be orange man bad. But the beating heart of this, as we continue to say, and we're going to have Dr. Giuseppe Tritto on, I think, later in the week when he's back from holiday or early next week, is this virus came out of China, and now we're struggling with it. It's destroyed the economy. It's destroyed the world's economy, and we're, we're trying to get our hands around this. We've got Dr. Yan, a defector from the Hong Kong, a defector from the, uh, from the great Hong Kong University in the lab there that's kind of the reference lab to the labs in China. Uh, and someone who knows the facts of what happened. Jack Maxey, I want to turn over to you. Dr. Yan, thank you for joining us here on our convention coverage in War and Pandemic. Dr. Yan, welcome to the show, one of our favorites amongst the viewers. And we spoke a little bit before the show, so hopefully we'll have this all squared away. Yeah. One of the breaking uh, pieces of news yesterday was a 33-year-old man in Hong Kong was reinfected with the coronavirus 4.5 months after he had recovered from the last round. Now, interestingly, he had very few symptoms on the second go-around, but I want to talk to you about this idea of immunity and whether or not you think that it's going to last among people who would either get the uh, vaccine or people who would have caught the coronavirus just naturally in the street. Okay, thank you for having me. First, uh, let's talk about this reinfection patient. This is a very important case report, and uh, I think we are going to see the publication soon, but now we just have seen the uh, news press uh, they hold to explain the basic situation about this patient. So for months, I mean, since the COVID-19 happened, we already have the doubt that whether it will be a chronic one, like prolonged and we all cure in our body again and again, not be cleared uh, thoroughly. All people can get reinfection after first infection 
uh, thoroughly recovered and clean the pathogen. But when you meet the second type of the mutant strain, you get re reinfection. So this case, it cannot exclude the possibility that uh, SARS-CoV-2 may stay in your body for a long time uh, under the detection uh, shield. Uh, but I mean, uh, you cannot detect it well and after a while it recur. But still, it can give you another result that yes, although you get first time infection with one strain, but after a short while, you still can meet the other strain and again get infection. That shows us many, many important uh, points. Like first, you cannot trust the herd immunity, as I mentioned before, because this herd immunity definitely from this case, we can see uh, the limitation, uh, uh, how to say the expired data is not long enough to protect you. The antibody lasting in your body may just for several months or even shorter. And when you meet such high mutant strain, which is circulating around our population, always generates a mutant. So you're always in a risk to face to this infection again. And the second thing is when we try to develop the vaccine, if we don't understand the mutant and the, period, uh, the, the, the way it uh, mutants, the, uh, the, uh, the chain it mutants, and don't understand evolution, situation of this virus and also very importantly if we don't know whether there is only one origin of the SARS-CoV-2 strain from the Wuhan lab from China from CCP controlled labs you cannot have the efficient vaccine as you expected because this will be like uh, influenza okay, you okay. always need to face to high mutant strains help me out here so it's a couple of strains tell yeah. me about the CCP's going around now. She's going around to Philippines, other places, and you can see they're going to start dangling it over the United States. Given all that, what is the status and what's the story with this? Uh, because it's two strands now. Am I correct that right, Jack? There's, there's two. There's, you, there's two main strands. Two, the D614, which was the original, right. and now the G614. Okay. And so, and, and Dr. Yan, you have been adamant that this thing came out of Wuhan and it's man-enhanced, uh, you know, gain-of-function, whatever. Just uh, for the audience, because we're crammed for time today, this uh, vaccine that they're working on in China, is it, 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 is it close to working? Is it dangerous? Do you, what, how comfortable do you feel this thing's actually being done at any level of what the FDA or Western, uh, Western standards would be? Uh, for my feeling to this uh, vaccine uh, produced in China, invented in China, I can tell you a basic fact which Chinese people all know. That means although the imported vaccines are more expensive than the vaccine made in China, but when people have enough money, they always prefer to get their kid or themselves inject the imported vaccine. So from this very simple fact, you can understand how Chinese people trust the made in China, made by CCP labs vaccines. And the other thing is uh, China government, uh, of course we know they are the reason we have this whole pandemic. Even from the early beginning, everything can be avoided because this is come from their lab, right? And now they try to show the world uh, using the so-called vaccine success to tell people, you should listen to me because we know how to stop this pandemic but they never tell you and they never admit there is a very 
uh, there are two risks behind. First is China government hold other strains which can be closed or even far away from the SARS-CoV-2 in their lab. Because as I said, in virology lab, people never only produce one type or one strain of the virus. There are always panel of candidates and you choose them up to your uh, characterization and your, uh, I mean, your, your, your achievement. And, and the other thing is, uh, Chinese government never had any successful experiment in producing or invent the human vaccine. Yes, they may have the vaccine for chicken, for ducks, but not for human. And also during the SARS times, they tried to invent the vaccine using the similar technology. These are the old techniques applied in now SARS-CoV-2 vaccines from China. The inactivated one and also adenovirus 5, these are not novel ones. They are shown to be filled before in other type of vaccine. Okay. Now, why I, do we yeah, expect they I, can I, be f f let me useful? Just, let me cut in here for a second. You're saying they've never successfully uh, produced a a successful vaccine in this area and they failed miserably in SARS. They, what about the testing? One of the things that we hear, Lao Beijing, old hundred names, the poor Chinese people are kind of, you know, guinea pigs for the Chinese Communist Party anyway, right? They do what they want to do, a slave labor. How do they, is the testing, are the Chinese people safe? Can we, can the world look and see these guys are testing? We don't, they know they don't have mass production capability. Do they have the ability to safely test and where are the Chinese people in regards to being be, having the CCP force these tests on them? Okay, because uh, under the CCP's control, what they want you to do is, I mean, the compulsory things. If you don't do it, it's related to all your family, all your career, and your retired life, your kids' uh, future. So you have to listen to them. Uh, so for this, back to this vaccine, I can tell you that from my intelligence, already there are severe effects. Patients uh, come to the hospital in Beijing when they uh, injected the Chinese vaccine. And we see the report in uh, uh, other countries when China government gave the uh, overseas labor, worker, uh, labor workers the vaccination and the inactivated vaccination and then send them to that country, they immediately get tested for virus positive which means either this vaccine is useless or there are a lot of virus uh, circulating in China that everyone, although they get vaccine, they still have to carry on the pathogen before they have the immunity. And also uh, back to the clinical trial, we can say, um, for example, uh, Prof Chen Wei, the bioweapon general in China who holds WIV since February, their lab has published papers in Lancet for twice about the safety and the efficiency about their Adeno-5 vaccine. But first, Adeno-5 vaccine, uh, this is something, uh, we can call it, uh, the vector is Adeno-5 virus, and then they equip some S protein from SARS-CoV-2 and deliver it to human bodies through the vector. But Adeno-5 virus, is already shown to have pre-immunity in not only China, also around the world. It's like from uh, the previous study show at least 30% of U.S. people and also over 80% of China, over 70 to 80% of Chinese people has a pre-immunity, which means you use this vector, they cannot deliver the things to your body because this vector is rejected by your body with your immunity. It's like you want to save the you, you, you want to transfer some 
big furniture to your home and use the vehicle, but the vehicle cannot even go into your home. How could you deliver the furniture to your house? So this is a very important issue. And also their clinical trial one, even if we believe their data, of course, we don't, we should not give them any credibility based on their behavior. But even if we believe that, we can say they give three doses of these uh, vaccines to, uh, to the patient, uh, to, to, to the volunteers. And those volunteers in the high dose group even have 17% uh, of the severe adverse effect. So imagine what is the mortality of this virus? Yeah. Dr. Yan, want to thank you very much for coming on. You're, you've become an audience uh, favorite here. Fantastic. I guess we stay away from the uh, from the from the uh, Chinese <laughs> vaccine. It's another thing. It's another very dangerous. By the way, the comparison of Beijing to Taiwan in this thing, the Taiwanese have just been so spectacular. CCP has been terrible. Dr. Yan, thank you very much. I know you get big interviews coming up on BBC and other places this week. Really honored to have you on, Dr. Scarlett Yan from uh from uh, hong kong university okay jack we'll get all into your stuff in the next uh, segment uh and we're going to go back we have more convention coverage we got more stuff about the uh, ccp trying to buy your technology uh all of it hashtag war and pandemic live stream want to hear from all of you short commercial break back with the team in a moment With Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon, and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room. Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Dr. Yan, what a hero she is. And by the way, so she's talking to us now about there's two strands. We're going to have more on this tomorrow. Jack Max, we're going to get some other of the top, our top uh, uh, advisors and the top people that we talk to all the time are going to come in tomorrow and talk about this two strands, what it means, right, what it means for you. Um, remember, it was Zero Hedge did this great analysis that, hey, in the trends we got going here, you could have no new infections by November 3rd, right? And all we saw from the Democrats, and look, we want the Democrats to be, this is about the country, I said country first here, where is uh, their plan besides the March 25th plan? Want to see what they've got, what's the latest they've got off all the learning. Uh, there's some controversy, I guess, out of the FDA, there's controversy on this plasma, I'm still to the point, and we're going to do this starting tomorrow. I think we're going to try to get Zelenko on and others. Hydroxy as a preventative, to me, hey, that's the hill we should die on, right? If you got that now, and I realize I got other things coming out, but look, one of the things is, and they're and they're and they're pushing the the vaccine out of out of uh, out of Oxford. I think if you look at the numbers, Raheem and guys and Jack, if you look at the numbers, they're they're a third of the American people are just jiggy about this whole thing about, about a vaccine to begin with, right? Particularly one that's rushed. And we've seen in China, and Dr. Yan just told it, he says, hey, you don't volunteer for these things. They're compulsory. And if you don't do it, your family gets your family gets a problem. And she says there's been some big problems with this, right? And now realize that's China. You can't compare that to the West. But I think there's some uncertainty. Oh, they know Nancy Pelosi likes to call us the enemy of the state. Well, so. do we have that? I got to tell you, we got some breaking news here. I guess not breaking news, but but it's been up, but it's pretty shocking. Uh, and this is coming from the Honey Badger's been been known to throw out a zinger or two. I'm actually pretty shocked about this. Can AVM play the uh, Nancy? Do we have uh, the master political strategist Nancy Pelosi? Can we we do. Let's roll clip Let's 18. Roll trying to interfere in our election. But they're not the only ones. We take an oath 
to protect and defend the Constitution from all enemies, foreign and domestic. And sadly, the domestic enemies to our voting system and wow. our honoring our Constitution uh, are right at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue with their allies in the Congress of the United States. But again, let's just get out there uh, and mobilize, organize, uh, and not uh, let the president deter anybody uh, from voting. And again, support the postal system, which is election, election central. They're doing everything they can. Suppress the vote of, uh, with your actions. Scare people, intimidate right. by saying law enforcement will be there. Uh, uh, diminish the role of the, of the postal system in all of this. It's really actually shameful. Enemies of the state trying to interfere in our lives. Enemies of the state. Enemies of the state. That's don't, the president, sixteen hundred president, and the Republican Party on the Capitol. Tell me that woman isn't coming to your house with a vaccine, demanding <laughs> you take it. All right. Enemy of the state. Remember the phrase. Enemy of the state was a movie where the government pursued the guy who found out too much, who knew too much. Right. That that's what she just invoked. This right. is like her deplorable moment, and what's most yes. disgusting about it is she opens up describing her oath to the Constitution, and for those of us who took that oath, the defense is against enemies both foreign and domestic. So she is essentially calling Donald Trump and the Republican Party domestic enemies of the Constitution of the United States based upon her oath. This, to me, is outrageous, and the American people could see who the enemies are. They're Biden's voters in the streets setting fire to America. Well, we don't normally get on people's rhetoric as, as that heated, given that we've had some hot rhetoric before. However, she's not talking about the marginalia. She's not talking about uh, conservative groups. She's not talking about the people that show up in, in the, 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 uh, the, the uh, peaceful demonstrators down in the Virginia when they came out for the for the weapons ban and the gun grab, the John Frederick Radio Network audience, um, she was talking. She said enemies of the state are those people at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, which is the White House, and their allies on Capitol Hill. These are the highest elected federal officials of the Republican Party. The party you saw last night uh, in living color with uh, with uh, was it Krasik, uh, uh, Vernon Jones, a, a Democrat. Uh, Herschel Walker, who I thought was the star, one of the stars of the evening, a breakout star, Senator Tim Scott. And, I mean, she's, she's not pointing her fingers at the Proud Boys, right? <laughs> she's not pointing her fingers at the, uh, some of the rabble-rousers. Right. She's pointing her fingers. She's not pointing her fingers to the, to the people that went to the uh, Michigan House, I think, and to the Wisconsin House, uh, up-armored, as, they, as their constitutional rights were, right? She's pointing her fingers to the President of the United States— his staff, and the senior elected officials on Capitol Hill. This is what it shows me. For the first time, I think Nancy's uh, – Nancy, that, that's a tell. She, she's nervous. This was a ramble, and they're nervous about the vote. They're nervous about the energy. They're, they're nervous about the enthusiasm. They're talking about suppressing the vote already. If you think, ladies and gentlemen, November 3rd is going to settle this – <laughs> you got another thing coming. That's oh, just a, that's bingo. just a, that's just a way. That's just a, that's just a post on the on the, on the on the road here. It's restoration versus Trump revolution, right? And the Trump revolution is America first, drivers economy. You heard it lay out like, versus the Obama. We've seen the Obama eight years. You can get that now with a with a uh, with a cultural revolution 
aspect to it. Mr. Raheem Ghassan, looks like you want to jump in. Well, yeah, I mean, just want to remind people because we never got to it on the show, but that's exactly what Nigel told me in our interview last week is that the, the election doesn't isn't the end. They're going to fight every single thing 10 times harder with 10 times more taxpayer resources, 20 more committees on the Hill to fight every little detail about that election so that they can reinforce their re, uh, restoration project. Right? And I just have the question, is Joe Biden going to tell Kim Klasik that she ain't black? Is Joe Biden going to tell Vernon Jones that he ain't black? Is Joe Biden going to stand nose to nose with Herschel Walker and tell him he ain't black? I'd like to see that moment. Well, those I tell you, they, were, they, were, they were breakout stars last night. I mean, each one, Vernon Jones was fantastic. Uh, Kim, who's running, for, uh, who's running for Congress up in Baltimore, were fa- fabulous. And her videos are fabulous. I mean, this is... The most a, viewed congressional ad, I think, in history. Was her, it was incredible. I mean, just uh, just so professionally done, right? And you know she's bootstrapping that campaign. So, and what a great breakout moment for her last night. Just a superstar. But th- no, now you're called enemies of, uh, enemies of the state. So um, this is a w- hashtag war on pandemic. We want to hear all your voices. We want to get into the live stream. Tell us what's going on. Give us your thoughts, your observation. Got a big next hour and get back to the CCP, but we've got so much more convention. I want to get some of these highlights, some of these polls in here. Also, Jack's got much more to report on the pandemic. We've got to talk about that. The pandemic's what got us here. Remember, these aren't even really conventions. They're kind of TV shows, right? You know, the Democrats made a, 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 a PBS telethon snooze fest, and the Republicans got, it has some juice and some spark and some glow. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with the next episode in just a moment.